Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 233. Today is Sunday the 14th of May 2017, and this interview is with Charles Hall, who is the CEO and co-founder, along with my friend Simon Kelton and Stuart Hall, of Pepper HQ, a white-label mobile platform for retailers to provide greater convenience, increased revenues, and create more powerful loyalty programs. For now, Pepper is focused on the hospitality sector, but the future is much broader. In this podcast with Charles, we explore how consumer and retail trends are evolving, some of the keys to success in creating a strong loyalty program, and what needs to happen within the organization to foster a healthy long-term retail business. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue today uh, in a less sunny London, but uh, post election in Paris, decided to have a podcast with Charles Hall. Charles, I met through my good friend Simon Kelton, and they're both working on a project called Pepper HQ. So we're going to get into that, Charles. Thanks for coming on. Tell us who you are and describe us your mindset. Thanks, Mitter. My name is Charles Hall, and I'm the CEO of Pepper HQ, a business that uh, Simon and myself founded some three and a half years ago now. And uh, my background is uh, I was brought up here in the UK, moved to the US in the early 90s. I was a banker there for a, uh, a dozen years, great time in my life. Presumably on the East Coast? On the East Coast in New York, and uh, great, great days. And, uh, but then I've always had a, uh, an inkling for entrepreneurialism, and uh, banking for me was never going to be my uh, career forever. So I, I took some of those skills and connections, etc., and uh, moved back to the UK to work for the Washington Post and build a very successful education company there. And in the meantime, I'd also uh, invested in and worked briefly for a, uh, a technology company. And then the opportunity came um, to uh, look at building a mobile business um, in what has become uh, loyalty and uh, payments in the hospitality arena, which is a, a fascinating sector and something now we've... Uh, been working hard at for the last three and a half years. Well, so, you, Charles, like, like myself, you spent a long time in large, let's call it traditional businesses. It, I, would, I mean, you know, from my own experience thinking I was always a little bit of an entrepreneur, did you feel like you're always closed in or, and you're always dying to be an entrepreneur? And, and how did you do the transition? Yes, I think I did feel uh, closed in. I wanted to start my own business out of college, but uh, taking a lot of good advice, I obviously went and uh, got myself a job and then became what I think you know, many of us would uh, see as a sort of golden handcuff for a yeah. number of years. But I found a, a way to get into, uh, move out of the banking industry into actually a, a, an early stage uh, uh, venture uh, back in New York in the, in the dot-com boom, um, which was exciting, got me the ability to see at a very high-end um, the ideas certainly behind a transformative business and what a group of like-minded entrepreneurs can, can do and can achieve in a short space of time. Um, so that was a good training ground. It was a segue, I suppose, into then um, I, I decided I needed to get my own sort of operational spurs 
and uh, had an opportunity then to, to build this business back in the UK. Uh, that I have to say, so far has been was the most thrilling ride—the opportunity to take something from a piece of paper and build um, a, a team, a product, and a business uh, behind something that became a hundred million pound business with five hundred plus employees wow. over about six years. Was just a, a fantastic, fantastic um, experience. Sadly, I didn't own it. Is the, is the challenge? So, um, so hence now um, an opportunity to uh, to work in, a, in an entrepreneurial field where I have um, you know, more control, more at stake, etc., in a, uh, uh, and in a, in a very pure technology business. It's funny. I mean, if listening to you, um, there's something much more raw about running your own business where at the end of the month it's money out of your bank account or any bank account which has your name on it and the revenues are going to be yours to reward as well when they, when they do come in. And, and yet, we, you know, these big businesses that you and I are a part of are now dying to be more entrepreneurial, more agile. And so the, almost the easy answer is, well, make an ESOP, make an employee stock ownership program so they're part of and gaining the rewards. But that doesn't work either. It's a long thing. So look, how about your mindset, Charles? How would you describe your mindset? Uh, focus, I think, is the, uh, would be the, the word that comes to mind. We, you know, we, as an entrepreneur in an early-stage business, we're three years in. We have to focus on... Product, building the business, team, um, uh, and, and absolutely, number one, certainly if you don't have it, funding. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I won't say that there's sleepless nights, but there's, there's, a, a, there's a lot of different parameters you're playing with. So you have to stay focused. And I think it's, um, you know, it, it's in, you know, interjecting that uh, uh, both a, a positive side to um, an, an inspiration to your team mm. but also allowing them the space um, to uh, you know to be creative which is at the end of the day what a what a, what a technology product is um, and from a sales perspective perspective to perform without too many day-to-day pressures you need mm-hmm. yes you need an overhead of um, uh, of excitement and all going in the right direction but you also people need a freedom in a way to be able to do the best job they can. It's tight, and, and, and especially since it's your money, your responsibility, and it, and it can be very quickly a, um, a risk or a temptation to go back to you know driving the business and, and cramping out the extra space and the creativity. So you have to keep that back. So your job, of course, is really tough because it's one time you have to get funding and the other time you have to perform, and that must be a difficult thing. But that's that's the way it is for entrepreneurs. With regard to Pepper, so Pepper, um, tell us more about what it is and and how do you position it on the market? So Pepper is a software platform that enables us to to create uh, mobile apps for uh, for hospitality businesses at the moment. Anyway, and by that I mean we've we've started initially in the. Uh, coffee cafe space and the quick serve restaurant space, so counter service types of operations. Um, but the software has the ability to go broad, more broadly into into restaurants and bars and ultimately retail is our is our feeling, which is a, an enormous market and one that uh, has largely gone unchanged, certainly in the hospitality market for you know for a very long time. So the um, the app or the technology that uh, we build. We're able to do this. It's a we do it on a white label basis. So we um, uh, we use the brand of the uh, of the merchant we work with, and we basically enable a an entire digital loyalty platform, 
um, and we enable two types of uh, journey um, that we digitize. One is uh, to be able to pre-order um, uh, your, your goods in a coffee shop example. Um, that is the ability to, I'm coming out of the tube on the way to work and uh, I push a button for my favorite cappuccino and it's there waiting for me on the pass as I, uh, uh, on my route. It saves me five minutes of the day. And uh, so that's a, a pre-order journey, which is new, which is something that mobile technology has enabled genuinely over the last, uh, the last couple of years. Um, separately, we also enable an in-store journey, which is just a, a nicer, simpler, modern digital way of, um, uh, of ordering your, uh, your products, whereby payment and loyalty and everything is done automatically at the till. In fact, you don't even have to get your phone out. Mm-hmm. Um, we recognize that you're there, can debit things from your account, can apply discounts, etc. And uh, so it's a, from a consumer perspective, it's just a, it's, it's a nice little happy feeling every day that you get from using our software. And hopefully a good product uh, of coffee as well. But why hospitality? I mean, so or at least why specifically the cafe business as opposed to maybe a hairdresser business or other areas where hosp- you know, people come back regularly? Mm-hmm. I do think there are other businesses, and hairdressing is a good example. But we started in the coffee business because that's where we saw the early adoption, and it is around that frequency of use. Because while you, well, some women anyway may get may get their hair done a couple of times a month. You know, a lot of people drink coffee daily. Mm-hmm. And and so it's that habitual use um, of uh, of the of the service and therefore our product that we thought would certainly uh, gain the most market traction and get people using uh, their mobile phones in this way mm-hmm. uh, most quickly. And it's a, it's obviously a competitive space, uh, and a lot of these types of companies do seem to have loyalty programs on paper still. Is that is that still your read on it? And, and how many how much are they getting to become more sophisticated in their approach to loyalty? I think um, it's definitely a uh, a movement that's now happening. There is a in certainly the coffee shop industry. It's been a, a pretty simple, straightforward uh, loyalty program of stamps or pseudo currency, um, you know, five percent back or whatever it may be on on your um, uh, on your gross uh, gross sales. But I think that what the technology and the platform enables people to do now um, is to take a, a much broader uh, view and a more sophisticated view. And by that, I mean we are able to segment um, uh, an audience uh, into, into different behaviors, effectively. So um, a merchant's customer base, uh, we can uh, apply different um, uh, different marketing um, tools, different rewards, etc., perks as we call them, uh, depending on the behavior of those different market segments. And so, what we're really trying to do there is to try is to get the merchant smarter about the customer behavior. And I think this is a general trend across the sort of digital space: is that increasingly customers want to have sort of control of their uh, of their products and what they and what they buy. And merchants need to understand that they're going to have to provide a more and more customized service. I mean, it's remarkable at some level. I mean, connecting the dots, the number of interviews I do, and I I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs bringing in new services to businesses. And yet, systematically, these services will only work if the mindset of the 
the service provider you're going into is changing their mindset in order to accommodate it and think more about the customer. So you end up not only having to sell your service and make sure you get a paycheck at the end of that, but also helping them to adjust their thinking and their processes in order to accommodate and be more customized, like you're saying, for the customer. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly right. I think it's a, um, one of the barriers in some ways to entry uh, is, is, is that um, these businesses now have, have to recognize they have to spend more investment um, more people um, behind um, how to make this work and really work well for their customer. And they may decide to ignore it for a while, but there are other early adopters starting to do a very good job with it, and that's going to catch up with them very quickly. And even if you if you look in the coffee shop space, uh, Starbucks will now say that about 30% of their, uh, of their revenues are via their mobile app. Um, but where they don't say underneath that is what that enables them to understand and deduce about customer behavior and how to shape and change their you know their product and their service offering i mean at some level we're talking about this wonderful term big data they 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 have all this data now it's available to them they know how many customers are walking in where they're buying what they're buying and and presumably how happy they are feeling probably uh are they do you see let's see let's tell us about what customers you have if you can tell us and then I'd like to get into maybe what you start seeing as new traits that are happening in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So our customers today are largely mid-sized branded uh, coffee shop chains and uh, food to go, uh, lunchtime food to go, uh, salad bars, etc. Um, the types of like a vital ingredient to crush, Taylor Street Baristas, a department of coffee are, are examples. So, and that was always the the plan for the business was to start in the what I would call a mid-market, so uh, businesses that were, were big enough to pay for and do a good job with the software platform we were providing and had a marketing budget and, a, and, a, and enough customers to make a difference um, weren't perhaps so large that, that uh, as a larger enterprises suck up all your resources and, um, and have very long sales cycles. And in the smaller end of the market, which I do think actually there's quite an interesting product for, is something we're now also... Um, going to be looking at uh, uh, making a provision there. But it, it, in order to bring down the cost of delivery, we've got to actually push a lot of the um, setup um, of that into the... Yeah, know, and presumably less flexibility. It's a, probably some sort of a, you know plug-and-play kind of version. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, trends, um, you know, we, we do see a significant shift over the last couple of years where we used to you know knock on doors and really have to explain what this was from the uh, you know from the get go that you know you you can do this and this is why you might want to do this mm-hmm. um and the uh, and many many people would open the door and be interested but we're not really ready to buy um we're now seeing that uh changing quite dramatically and the conversion in our business from the sales side is is going up very significantly. Um, so it's an interesting place to be uh, in the market. And uh, in terms of the way you sell, do you have a, I mean, there are many different techniques out there, as in, you know, open the door and then have someone do the closing. Uh, how does how does uh, the sales cycle work for you? Is it is it still very long and tedious? or, or I mean, you say they're getting more aware of it, but uh, is, the, is the sales cycle still as tormented and uh, in real life as it always has been? I, I think broadly, yes. Um, 
you know, we we have closed a couple of deals um, in the last couple of months. People we've been talking to for you know over a year, eighteen months. Um, so those B two B sales cycles um, continue to remain um, uh, long. That is then interspersed with the odd you know, the odd opportunity that you see and you close within you know four to six weeks. So I think there's. And that, as the adoption curve sort of you know, moves further and further forward, that's, that cycle will change. We also have to improve as a business. I mean, part of that um, sales cycle, you can interrupt and shorten just by you know, doing, doing your own um, sales and marketing in a, in a better, um, clearer and swifter way. One of the things you have is a white label, or is it maybe the challenge of word of mouth? Because in the end of the day, you're going to go to one coffee shop. It's white label. It's sort of discreetly underneath. But the chances of them promoting, oh, look, I've got this great software I've been using to their local competitor, <laughs> not so easy. So you, you, you're, you really can only do word of mouth outside of the industry. I think that's, that's right. Certainly the... Um you're not going to get word of mouth at the consumer level about right. Pepper, uh, not not until we potentially put a Uber brand over right. the top of it yeah. in the future. Powered by Pepper, yeah, and there is there is a subtle power by Pepper, but that makes you know no difference at the consumer level. I think in the yeah. in in the um, you know in in the client the client level uh, with merchants, uh, we we have found one of the other. Very rewarding things that's happened over the last several months in the last year is we get more and more positive feedback from the market, just you know, unsolicited, that uh, our product is you know, best of breed, etc. And we get more and more inbound inquiries. So that's you know, that does show a good strength and that we are doing some things um, right. And what would what would that look like? I mean, because <clears throat> let's say the, the loyalty idea that's that's an old trick or loyalty cards. But what would be some of the functionalities that you are seeing are pleasing to the consumer and without you know, t- talking down the competition? But what are the things that people enjoy specifically about your, your service, your platform? I think the sorts of things we've heard about is that it's the it's the best app I never have to use, for example, because it sort of it just it just works even if it's in your pocket and it just makes that you know, that morning coffee shop journey that little bit easier and, and sweeter. Um, and also, we um, you know a, num- a number of people uh, who uh, used to bypass their morning coffee, for example, because they were too busy um, or uh, at home, minutes. didn't have the extra five minutes on the train, uh, on the way to the train station, and now with a simple two clicks of a button, you know, they c- it's there waiting for them. So it's a small thing in life. Yeah. Um, uh, this is not sort of changing the world, but it's changing your life in a small way, in a positive way. Yeah. Um, so you're basically in, in the UK, correct? Uh, correct. In the UK, we also have a couple of clients now in the US. So oh, really? the US is an enormous market for us. Market yeah, sure. Of course, they like their coffees. Um, actually, who doesn't like their coffee, for that matter? But um, So w- the question I was going to ask you is that with regard to privacy and, and data, because we're, we're going to get into that. Obviously, mm-hmm. you are – to make it seamless, to have them know you better when we're talking about loyalty – Gosh, wouldn't it be nice if they could offer offer you a, an extra twenty percent off or an extra lot? Oh no, an extra cake for your kid's birthday. That Jake, who's six tomorrow. So absolutely, it has to be on an opt-in basis. So in every time you sign up for one of our apps, um, you're you know you're asked whether we can use your location services to provide some of the the, the value added benefits of the uh, uh, of the mobile technology. 
and uh, and we have various questions around um, uh, data and, and privacy as well. So those typically actually reside again with our merchant rather than us sure. as a facilitator. Um, but it is going to be a big, big thing, I think, in the future. And I think you know, everybody has to be a gatekeeper of their own data. However, in reality, is right there is you know, by, by giving some of that to the merchant, you can genuinely, you know, both get rewards but get better service too. So, mm-hmm. and I think I find certainly the younger generation will be very cognizant of, uh, um, uh, you know, of where it can go wrong, are actually quite open. Um, to giving away data because they they actually expect the merchant to know something about them, which is a very different, you know, uh, a very different view of the world than uh, an expectation than it was perhaps in, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago. If you look at the the metadata for your all, all the customers you have, I don't know if you have a regard on that, but do you have a feeling that there are more younger people who are more apt? I mean, obviously, we have to sort of normalize for the penetration of mobile phones and you know smartphones. Mm-hmm. But within the smartphone users, uh, who are this is obviously an app. Do you do you, do you see any you know other data saying it's more women, men, young, old? Or is there anything you've seen in, in that across your data? Um, I think you know if, I, if I'm honest, we probably don't have all the data that's um, that, would, that would give us the the exact and right answer to that. I think there's. From understanding the uh, the users across our um, across our network, it's certainly it certainly it, it typically is urban professional, but that is an, an on the younger side. But that's partly because of the product and the location of those services, right. perhaps rather than. You know, what does the technology right. draw? Gra- Granny isn't exactly getting out there every day <laughs> to get her coffee. Yeah, and, and if we put our service in um, in a whole bunch of universities, you're going to have a very skewed, um, you know, uh, a skewed demographic there as well. So, so I think actually what's quite interesting is that people of all ages have become quite comfortable using um, this type of mobile technology. It's it's not just skewed to the you know to the younger the younger age group, but it does. You know, bring me on to the one of the challenges in, in the business, which is that you, it does require um, the the merchant. Of course, they start with you know with with zero participation in their new spanking new mobile app, right? Mm-hmm. And so they have to um, work out how to get the message into their market right. to their customers. It's their app. It's their product. Because you got you know whatever it is, this is a massive number of apps that are never opened. Yes, we don't we don't suffer from that. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that we um, uh, very much focus on is that we are building technology to improve the customer journey and the and the service that you have, largely for your existing customers. It doesn't say that you um, on the edges you won't find ways to bring in new customers, but we're largely focused on that rather than trying to find um, new sources of uh, of customer. So. And I and I think it's very people are very quick to say, well, every business has got to find new customers to grow. Right, right. Actually, you know that's that's an expensive, um, a very expensive uh, uh, job. So I think if you focus on actually trying to make more of your existing customers, both ensure they become loyal, become that much more loyal, um, and stay with you, it's a much better return on investment. Oh, totally, and, and ultimately, you know, it's this notion of making your customers happy. As opposed to rotating them, trying to you know squeeze them and, and make and, and get the most out of them, as opposed to give them the most, is such a different way. And ultimately, for you, 
as a business, since you're in that sort of space of making loyal customers happier, that is the best model of growth. I think either, well, we certainly have, uh, you know, we've um, uh, subscribed to that in in, uh, in a large way. I think there's there's both um, getting your uh, customers to, um, to to interact or to buy from you uh, more is an important thing, but also to buy differently potentially. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's obviously the classic upsell, which right. we in, we are we enable because you're giving front of house. Um, some information about the customer and whether they're a regular croissant bar with their coffee or whether they typically have you know more eggs on their salad at lunch whatever it is that you can suggest um, but I think there are quite quite interesting other ways that the technology is helping we have a um, one of our businesses for example as with many lunchtime businesses they have 80% of their trade over two hours in the middle of the day it's a very difficult business to manage so not only is that just where everybody comes in and buys their product, they actually have to make it. If it's a freshly right. made product, mm. they can't pre-do that much. So this business is using our technology to incentivize customers to place that order ahead of time and then come and collect it. And so they can smooth out their operational mm. um, uh, you know, constraints there. So, so I think that's not only smoothing it out, but it's adding... You know, it, it's adding you're getting a cheaper logistics benefits. Yeah, it's logistics benefits, but as a customer too, you're getting a, um, you know, you're getting a benefit. You're getting your product a little bit cheaper, and you're getting to customize it, you know, the way you want. So, uh, having myself overseen many loyalty programs, one of the areas that we used to talk about in the company was the ones who didn't use their points, and yet, uh, let's say that if those points are unused, then the that's really. Uh, Fundamentally, you're screwing the customer. In in the things that you've, when you're approaching your customers, selling in this, we're we, we're always going to talk about unused points um, as a you know almost a cost saving sometimes. Amongst the things you feel like you have to traverse and help the mindset change, um, how much is that conversation about unused points or making sure people use up points uh, a part of your conversation? I think we, we don't see it as much as perhaps in other industries. I mean, oh, there are lots of stories um, in the airline business and so on where the liabilities stretch to the hundreds of millions and they become part of divorce settlements and so on. But uh, I don't think the uh, the extra few cups of coffee have quite made it into the litigation um, uh, part of divorce yet. But So I think because it's so easy to consume those points, we don't, we don't see people building up big balances. Although, interestingly, people do like the option as to whether they should Earn or whether they should burn their loyalty points at a specific time, because one of the things we certainly pushed early on was just the automatic um, burning. As soon as you got X, then you you, you, you take it one. off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you take it off free. But actually, we you know we we found both the merchant and the customer. Um, you could put that as a default as long as you have the ability to um, you know to um, to untick the box, as it were. But um, yeah, I think there that you know loyalty goes in. Um, uh, it will go in a number of different directions. I think for us, it's it's back to that more intimate knowledge of the customer and being able to interrupt a journey or or send whether it's send a push notification, an email, would it be the right time that has that nice balance of the the company understanding who you are and your behaviour mm-hmm. without it being too invasive, right. 
and offering you something that's genuinely right. of interest to you. Yeah, not just a you know an upsell for my my own till's sake. Right, Ex- exactly. And that's a, that's a hard you know our, our software allows that sort of behaviour to happen, but it's still a marketing skill and a, and a, and a large skill that needs to be behind it. Well, I think I frankly think it's it's a mindset because if you're not thinking in the shoes of your customer, then you're just going to keep on flogging them and pushing them. Because oh, I have extra stock of this. We'll just, we'll just give them give give them this today, which is such a, a traditional mindset. No, that, that, that's right. I think I think certainly for me, and as a, as I put myself as a as a consumer, as I often do, um, you know, I hate getting pushed things um, that I've already purchased or that um, you know that actually aren't of interest. Mm-hmm. If it's the right time, the right the right thing, great. I give you get a hundred you know, five stars. If you if it's the wrong time or something I've already purchased or something, you know, it's, it's negative one star. And as opposed to when you were running a business, you're, not, you're no longer able to do that. So in your position, you must see, you must, I can only imagine, it gets a little bit frustrating to see some people using the technology in the wrong way to screw their customers as opposed to benefiting them and giving them real loyalty advantages. Yes, I, I, I think at the end of the day, we, you know, we have to recognize that we are ultimately just a tool and it's, mm-hmm, the, sure. it's the merchant to, to manage. Having said that, we do work hard to put in a, you know, playbooks and to make sure that things are set up in the right way and to help people construct appropriate loyalty programs and behaviors. Right, and so because, on. I mean, if, you, if, if they're not doing it right, right, then the system tool will be given the fault, but actually it's the mindset in the beginning that didn't make it work. Uh, that, that's right, and um, you know, we're still early enough in this uh, development of this industry where we we want everybody everything to work. Yeah, sure. You know, we um, and we, how do you let, give us an idea of, of how do you set up a, the right KPI? I mean, in, does this technology enable us to to look at key performance indicators in a different way? Uh, you know, profitability or satisfaction. Yes, so we, uh, you know, the, there are a number of different. At, you know, at a, at a base level, we look at the um, obviously the, the volume because the success of actually driving a mobile channel initially is just are you getting people to use it and mm-hmm, use it at, right. at volume. I think when then, then one starts to get rather more sophisticated and look at are you managing to increase the frequency of use from your um, from your users and are they. Um, are they buying more, etc.? And and those are the trends that are much more interesting. And for us, so far, anyway, what's interesting is we 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 actually don't seem to have shifted behaviour in terms of going more frequently, other than through a pre-order channel, which does genuinely add a different type of journey. But what we what certainly has happened is that um, uh, people have spend about nineteen percent more on average after six months of using the app than they did before, which is. Which is what it's all about. Yeah, which is what it was all about. And it actually is echoed in other um, mobile and digital journeys. That well, so, the, so presumably that 19% will, I would imagine, subsidize quite handsomely the cost. Uh, more than that, in, it is going to deliver something like a minimum of a three or 400% return on investment mm. from the technology. So you... Cool. Well, that, that, hopefully that's a good incentive for anyone listening. Uh, go check out Pepper HQ. Uh, Charles, last question for you, which is uh, you are so now on the entrepreneurial side, and we're, we're in London, a hotbed of, of – uh, we were talking just before about how there are 600 startups every day being registered in London. Um, what are the, some of the new tech that excites you, I mean, just on a personal level or you know, professionally, professionally, you know what I mean? And. Um, since I spent a lot of time looking in, in my own uh, backyard, um, I like to sort of get out of it every now and again, I think. And uh, um, I don't think having revolutionary, but some of the things that I see of particular interest around transport, 
Um, so certainly the uh, autonomous uh, driving, um, not because I actually love driving cars and I don't particularly want to sit in a taxi all, ah. all, all day, but I think the um, that will be a, a very big revolution um, in many, many ways, particularly in the sort of haulage industry and the types of knock-on effects that will have into jobs, etc. So mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. And then on a, on a perhaps on a deeper level, I think the whole... Um, development of more and more sophisticated AI is interesting. We use it at a very, very, very simple uh, level in terms of chatbots that we've now developed. Mm-hmm. So you could actually, if you want to do it through Facebook and, 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 and order your coffee that way, we can enable uh, enable that. But at a much deeper level, um, you know, I, 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 I think it's, it, it's fascinating what's going on, the, the, the challenge of we build bigger and bigger and more and more powerful computing technology but in order for that to continue to grow at the sort of pace it is, um, it, it seems that we've turned that corner of having to allow those sophisticated machines to actually be able to write their own code. Mm-hmm. And that's where we all go back to, you know, what happened in Terminator, which is... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah so exactly. So it's a, it's a interesting, fascinating, but deeply concerning, um, right. uh, you know, a uh, change, I think, in that. Well, one could say the same about each of these technologies. I mean, whether it's the self-driving car, you know, this whole ethical issue of whether they should run over the the two kids or the hit the ten adults. Yeah, yeah. How, 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 do you, uh, how do you write the software for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of challenges ahead. And I think in, the, in going back into this Fidelity program, sorry, there's a lot of challenges ahead as well as in terms of, the retail space. I mean, retail is a is a challenging area. It's in real life. We've got the digital world that seems to be taking over. But fortunately, we still need to meet. We still need to drink our coffee. Yes, I think in, in certainly in um, in hospitality um, and in coffee shops, etc. And, and the reason they continue to grow so well is not just our desire to drink more coffee and tea. It's the fact they've actually become sort of social hubs mm-hmm. as well, particularly amongst a younger generation who doesn't feel the need to always hit the pub. Um, but I think in retail, I, it actually it always frustrates me every time I go into a whether it's a uh, you know, Dixon's car phone that is now or, or even M and S on the high street because I, I I think this needs to be torn up and, and, and start again. Um, and obviously it's it's happening because of e-commerce and the fact that people are uh, ordering um, uh, you know all sorts of things online. Um, <clears throat> but I think the you know, the retailers have to, they still have a big bricks and mortar presence, have to react to that. And I, you know, I certainly think if you're M&S, you, you, uh, you could reduce your uh, floor footprint by about two thirds, I think, and continue to offer exactly the same capabilities and service to your, to your customer. You need some mobile and digital enhancement and so on to do it and rethink it, but you'd have a massively cheaper estate to run and you'd be able to pass on those benefits in terms of, you know, better service in terms of delivery to the home whatever it may be mm. and um but it's taking way too long to get there yeah. they need to tear up the rule book and do it now not right. not not next week otherwise yeah. they'll get eaten they will beautiful charles thanks for coming on the show appreciate it how what's the best way to connect with you uh find out more about pepper what's the way so uh, go to our website at uh, pepperhq.com and uh, by all means email me directly at uh, charles.hall at pepperhq.com love to hear from you in the show notes. Thanks for being on the show, Charles, and uh, carry on. Thanks very much, Mitch. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter 
at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, 
thought leaders and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.